Hello and welcome to Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path. I'm Mike Allen, here with another story about historically significant people, places, and events from Connecticut's long and fabled past. Today on Amazing Tales, the venerable Soapbox Derby, an American classic like few others. There are a lot of guests for this episode. They include Region 11 Derby Director Mike Corson. He's responsible for the Derby in Connecticut and Rhode Island. New Milford's John Strand, longtime Danbury race director. Danbury's Hornig family, with father Peter IV and three sons, Peter V, Nathaniel, and Jacob, all four of them racers. And Brookfield's Katie Jurgen, a college freshman who raced when she was just eight. And now, Soapbox Derby Racing in Connecticut. The All-American Soapbox Derby is a true American original. It all began in 1933 at the height of the Great Depression when 20 youngsters in Dayton, Ohio got some scrap wood, built racing car compartments, put wheels on the bottom, and rode down a local hill. A guy named Myron Scott was a photographer for the local Dayton paper. He saw what they were doing, walked over to them, and suggested that they organize it into a competitive race, running heats against one another. Well, the kids had so much fun that a year later, on August 19, 1934, Myron Scott offered prizes to kids who wanted to enter. 362 children took him up on that effort, and a boy from Indianapolis won the race after building his car from wood, taken from a former saloon. Well, Dayton's not as hilly as Akron, Ohio, and so the following year, 1935, the race was moved there, and NBC Sports covered it live. During the broadcast, famed commentator Graham McNamee was hit by an out-of-control car while he was broadcasting. He suffered a mild concussion and some other injuries, but stood back up and finished the broadcast. Afterwards, though, he spent two weeks in the hospital. Many people saw the accident live on TV, and the event became a fixture in the annual calendar. In 1936, the Depression-era WPA program, which was the Works Progress Administration, devoted some of their unemployed laborers to build what remains today as Derby Downs, an impressive 1,000-foot-long three-lane track down a steep hillside immediately adjacent to Akron Airport. Races continued annually until World War II broke out. They ceased until it ended. But ever since 1946, the All-American Soapbox Derby races have been held in Akron, a span of nearly 75 years. Of course, COVID took it out last year like so many other things. The heyday for the Derby was clearly the 1950s and 60s. The Derby was one of the top five spectator sports in the country, drawing up to 70,000 people at the peak to the Derby Downs track to watch contestants race their cars down a hill. Chevrolet was the longtime sponsor, and TV and movie celebrities routinely made stops at the popular events. In 1972, a new leader took over at Chevrolet, a man named John DeLorean, who has a car named after him. He felt the Derby was outdated and cost too much to sponsor, and he ended Chevrolet's longtime partnership. First Energy, an electric utility based in Akron, is the current sponsor. The city of Akron owns the track and has used both taxpayer and private funds to upgrade the facility over the years, 
repave the track, and improve the grandstand seating arrangements. The basic structure of the Derby is that there are three divisions and two ways you can earn a trip to Akron for the World Championships in one of the divisions. They are so-called local races and rally races. With local races, think of a city hosting its own soapbox derby competition. For many years in Connecticut, there were four such towns that did this, Berlin, Bristol, Meriden, and Danbury. Each of those cities would crown a local race winner in the stock, superstock, and masters divisions. Stock was the introductory level where children as young as seven could participate. The superstock and masters divisions were for more seasoned competitors. So, win at any local race and you earn a ticket to the World Championship races in Akron. The other way to get to Akron was through the rally competition. Think of Grand Prix racing where drivers earn points by racing in various events. Each driver gets a certain number of points for simply participating and showing up. Then there are other points for first, second, and third place and so on. Win enough of these races and you can amass enough points to be one of the very top points earners in your region. And in one of those three divisions, if you do that, you also get to Akron. To understand the thrill of competing, you need to do this. Close your eyes. Imagine a racetrack is staring you in the face and you're starting high in the air. You're sitting in a wooden or fiberglass car compartment. You have a steering mechanism and a brake, but the brake only pushes a piece of rubber down onto the ground, rubbing against the pavement until you stop. The racetrack unfolds a thousand feet in front of you. Your car is in the starting position where only a lever against the front of it is keeping you from rolling gravity-driven downhill. You know that for the first 50 feet, you're going to be dropping downwards at a 16% grade. That's much steeper than any road you've driven anywhere unless you've been in the Rocky Mountains. A 16% grade means you're dropping 16 feet in altitude for every 100 feet you're moving forward. After those first 50 feet, the grade switches to 6% for a distance of 500 feet. A 6% grade is still much steeper than you see on most roads you travel on any given day. And for the final 450 feet, there is a 2% grade. Well, suddenly that lever is removed and you feel yourself start to lurch forward. Katie Yergen of Brookfield is now a college freshman. Ten years ago, she was just eight and she was watching her older brother compete. That looks so cool, and I want to do that because I had followed in his footsteps a lot. He he did cross-country running, so I did cross-country running. He did soapbox derby, so I wanted to do soapbox derby. She made a snap decision that she wanted to do it too, only she hadn't done all the preparation and built her own car and focused on the pre-race adjustments that everybody makes. Still, the bug had bitten her, and she wanted to try it. As often happens, there was a spare car available at the Danbury, Connecticut race site. She still distinctly remembers as she and that 200-pound car were being brought to the top of the hill in a pickup truck to get ready for the ride down the hill. I remember they were taking us in this pickup truck with a couple other racers up the big hill, and as we kept going up, I just kind of remember seeing how much of a distance it was from the bottom, and my I remember just being like, I could sort of feel like the butterflies in my stomach, and I was like, oh, man, like this is, 
this is so cool. But I, I was starting to get nervous and I was like, oh, like, can I really do this? Can I really do this? And then I was in the car and I had my little helmet on and I was like, are we sure? Are we really doing this? Danbury's Jacob Hornig, the youngest of Peter Hornig's three sons, had a similar start to the sports. After watching both of my brothers do it, you know, and I was sitting on the sidelines in a chair watching them come down the hill and either win or lose, I was like, I want to do that when I grow up. The Hornick family is one of the better-known soapbox derby families in the western Connecticut area. Father Peter Hornig IV and his three sons, Peter V, Nathaniel, and Jacob, are all derby participants. Peter V remembers when he first heard about his dad's involvement. I had no idea this was a thing until one day my parents looked at me and said, Hey, you're old enough. This is a thing Dad did when he was a kid. You got to pick between karate class and racing. Uh, I, okay, let's go racing. The Hornick's father says the payback of having his three sons involved and the value of both he and his wife Joanne supporting them is immeasurable. I mean, you could go play little league, throw a ball back and forth together, but once they're out on the field, they're out on the field by themselves. Racing is really a family sport. Things have changed a lot over the years, however. Hornick says that in the old days, you had to build your car out of wood that you bought yourself. You don't buy, go to the store and buy lumber anymore. The entire kit comes all included. Everything, all the pieces are in there. And he says that's had an impact both ways. You no longer have the freedom to kind of express yourself, I guess, as far as your, your skills in building it. But it's leveled the playing field, and you can always decorate the cars however you want. There were many highlights for the Hornigs over the years. One of them involved Jacob. He's 18 now, but about five years ago, the last year he was racing, he broke his right foot. That's the foot you use for the brake. Well, obviously, he couldn't push down on it, and as a result, he missed a chance to qualify for Akron when he couldn't compete in the local Danbury race that year. Well, his dad picked up the phone, made some calls, and it Turns out you can modify your car and put the brake on the left side so Jacob could use his left foot instead. So Jacob says they decided instead to go to a different local race, this one in Schenectady, New York. My dad said there's a lot of rules and regulations that we had to follow and I couldn't push the brake with my broken foot. So, you know, we had to wait until a few months until I had, until I could push the brake. So... He called around and found out we could switch to the other side. So after we missed our local in Danbury, we went up to Schenectady, New York, and I got in the car and raced the best I could. Jacob won first place in Schenectady, earning a ticket to the big dance in Akron. As just one of many examples about how much this sport bonds families together, older brother Nathaniel was at the race that day to cheer on his little brother. I had stopped racing at this point, but he this was like his last year, and you know, I was at the bottom of the hill at the point, and I, I was so excited. It, it was a, like a big moment of like pride and, you know, happiness and things like that. At local races, it's double elimination. So even if you lose, you get a chance to compete against all the other people who lost and make your way back up to the top. And that's what happened to Jacob that day. His first race didn't go well, but he came back and he worked through all the other competitors to reach the very top. When he got to Akron, though, he found it's different. If you lose, you're done for the day. And so there's a lot riding on each race. Jacob says you're assigned to one of the three lanes in Akron. You keep your head down in the car for aerodynamic purposes as far as you can. 
And at the finish line, the sensitive timing equipment can determine a winner by thousandths of a second. Jacob says with all that's going on and the closeness of many races, you don't actually find out who won until after you finished and you see over whose lane the green light goes on. They have spinning lights on which lane won. So after you pass the finish line, you stop, you can turn around and see which lane won. You know, you got that big adrenaline going down the hill of, you know, don't mess up, don't mess up. You pass it and then you turn around and hope you won. Well, Jacob won the first heat in Akron, so he got to experience the thrill of seeing that revolving green light over his lane. Unfortunately, he didn't win the next heat, and he was out from that point on. His older brother Peter has a moment of pride from participating in all the rally races over the years. He earned one year a uniquely high number of points, which easily qualified him for Akron. I went out, and I actually had above 200 points so once you get above 200 points in the rally program you become like a part of the 200 point club they put your name on a plaque yet one of peter v's most vivid memories came at a local race in meriden connecticut where he was returning to race in the masters division after taking a couple of years off there were some new members of the meriden race club who had never before seen peter including his six foot tall frame and as he put it his ridiculously long hair. I crammed myself into the Superstock, almost flat with the top of the car, went down the hill, completely like blew the other kid out of the water, and then emerged from this car, a six foot figure, and like everybody around was losing their minds. Like, who are these people? Where did they come from? Peter says that some of the Meriden Club members initially thought he might be cheating. But some other veteran members of the club just sighed and shook their head and said, nope, it's just Peter Hornick. He must have come out of retirement. He says he'll never forget it. His brother Nathaniel says he won't forget the many traditions and memories from Akron, one of which in particular still lives on with him quite vividly. You'd make little pins with like your name and your district and things like that on it. All three of us have uh, like big quilts with a bunch of pins from like people all over the country. Another legendary family in the area lives in New Milford, the Strands. Father John Strand ran the annual Danbury race event for eight years. Like most of the other stories you hear, he too used to race when he was a child. When he started out, he says you had to build your own car using your own materials, but following a very specific set of rules and guidelines. He said he and his dad set out to prepare for the Danbury local race. We built a car essentially all year long uh, for a, a one-day race. He was hooked. Then his four daughters would be racing too, Megan, Michelle, Peyton, and Brooke. John's one of the many voices who will tell you about just how strongly the bond forms within families when they're pursuing the same goals of building a race car and then taking it to events all over the eastern half of the United States. Just as involved as you become during the race day, we would spend time in the garage uh, building the car, tuning the car, and getting it ready for the hill that we were going to race at uh, the next weekend. And in fact, the only time I ever chased him out of the garage was when I was doing any of the painting. John says there's also a lot of time spent in regular cars driving to these events all over the East Coast. More time for bonding. 
And when you get to these races, he says it's a mixture of fun and competition. What's uh, a tremendous amount of competition during the day turns out to, to being nothing but, but family time and, and building friendships and things like that in the afternoons. He says his daughters have learned valuable life lessons. They learn how to be a, a good sportsman and they learn how to win and lose gracefully because you're going to lose a lot more races than, than you end up winning. The Strand family has had considerable success over the years. All four daughters have qualified at one time or another for Akron, and they have achieved an impressive list of successes. Akron recognizes the top nine finishers in each division each year. Over a seven-year period, the four Strand daughters were among the top nine on ten separate occasions. They call it the World Championships in Akron because they have cars from Canada, cars from Germany, cars from Australia, cars from Japan, as well as the top points earner in the entire nation. So uh, it's a pretty big deal. For the first two years, John says there were no first-place finishes in any of the local races. Then in the Danbury local race... Megan Strand, his oldest daughter, won in her division. Her winning the championship on Casper Street was, was our family's real first race win, and that was emotional, and I could still go back to that and, and, and think about how hard it was not to uh, shed a tear as I ran down the hill to greet her. From there, success came more frequently. Certainly one of the crowning achievements was in 2016, that year, Peyton Strand had been pursuing rally points, with she and her family traveling to multiple locations to pursue wins and points. She earned an invitation to Akron by being the leading regional rally points winner in the Masters division. In Akron, Peyton managed to stave off all of the other competitors in that division up until the very last race. Her father, John, was watching from the top of the hill as her cart barreled downwards. He watched the big screen TV that gives a view of the finish line to those who are as far away as he was. He says it looked like she had won, but looks are deceiving. That's why one always has to wait for the revolving green light to be turned on over the winning lane. Well, when it went on, and it was over Peyton's lane, meaning she was the world champion... He ran down the hill to congratulate her with fans who knew him and his family high-fiving him along the way. People knew how hard we worked and how much we traveled. And when you can solidify that, I can't put it into words. It's absolutely remarkable. Mike Corson's son in New Milford has also turned in quite a few stellar years of derby racing. For five straight years from 2003 through 2007, he qualified each year for Akron and he did it in both the local and rally racing approaches. In 2005, he was doing rally races in the Masters Division. My son and another girl in our club qualified nationally as the top national point earner in the United States. Mike Corson says that his son went on to win first place in Akron. And traveling around with multiple children involved in the sport, meaning multiple racing cars to lug around as well, can mean some challenging logistics. Just ask John Strand. We would just uh, put the seats down in the minivan and put the car in there. And as a family, we'd take two separate cars wherever we went. And then when the second daughter started racing, then we broke down and, and bought a small cargo trailer. He and his daughters traveled to Maine, West Virginia, North Carolina, and Tennessee. The father of the Hornick boys faced a similar issue once all three of his children got active in the sports. We started with with one car, 
and they fit nicely in the back of a pickup truck. And then at one point we actually had three cars, so I built a rack for the back of my truck pickup truck that actually slid out. Derby officials are extremely strict about having you use the components that they send you in the kit that they provide. No substitutions. In fact, before each race, there is a multi-point inspection. You have a certain period of time to make corrections if your car is out of spec. Otherwise, you're disqualified. Cars are even impounded a day before the race to ensure nobody tries to modify it for an unfair advantage. This adherence to fairness extends to the maximum weight in each division. Since gravity-propelled vehicles benefit from additional weight, there are maximum limits in each of the three divisions. And Mike Corson says that this weight limit applies to the combined weight of the car and the driver. So if you have a larger kid, your car is going to be light. If you have a little kid, the car is going to be heavy. But when those cars are going down the hill, they all weigh the same. There are built-in ways to add or subtract weight from the car to meet that weight limit. And as Nathaniel Hornick reminds us, there are occasional accidents when one of the more important systems on the race car stops working effectively. Sometimes people's brakes wouldn't work, and at the end of the hills, there's just like a pile of like cones and tires. I mean, it happened to us sometimes too. Um, your brakes, either there's like not much of it left, because it was just like a, a rubber pad that you'd scrape against the ground to stop the car. Derby officials go to great lengths to make sure their races are fair, and everyone agrees they do a very good job. However, everyone also agrees that in the local and rally races before heading to Akron, there can be some strategic differences that can make a big difference. Nathaniel Hornick says that they had a family practice for every race. Every time we went to a track, even if it's one we've been to, uh, we would walk the track after it was all set up. He said they would survey it and look for little advantages. Jacob Hornick says that they also learned tips and tricks when they traveled. When you go out and rally like we did, you learned a lot of different tricks from a lot of different people. It all depended on who was there and who knew and who didn't. Peter Hornick V says you have to pay attention to the weather. If the track gets hot in the sun, the smallest minute amount of temperature can affect speed. Roads are curved with a crown in the center to help facilitate water runoff during storms. Well, Jacob used to drive as close to the edge of the road as possible to take maximum advantage of that dip. Unfortunately, his older brother Peter reminds us that this particular advantage is not available in Akron. It's not like racing on streets like here, where you can use the slope of the street to your advantage. It's three flat lanes. And before every local race, the hometown crew is supposed to fill any potholes to make sure every lane is equivalent. But Jacob says some potholes can't be fixed, and that can be a good thing. A lot of people swerve around them to avoid them, but if you hit it just right, it's how I won in Schenectady. Because they had a big pothole probably about halfway down, down the hill, and if you hit it just right, it's like someone just shoved your car down the hill. Another advantage that Peter uses has to do with the lubricant for the ball bearings. I know people that use WD-40. We used, uh, like... Rizlone lighter fluid, the yellow bottle lighter fluid. It was really good for getting the bearings spinning. But sometimes, as Katie Jurgen reminds us, it's the basics that matter the most. She recalls having seen her brother crash into the protective hay bales at the end of a course in one race when his steering mechanism malfunctioned, which had her, at her young race age, aware of the importance of steering. Steering's 
definitely important. You got you got to be aware of that. But uh, you know, as an eight year old, I, I don't think I was particularly as concerned as I probably should have been. Despite the fun and many valuable aspects that the Soapbox Derby has to offer, it continues to see its overall popularity slide. In some locations, including Region 11, which is comprised of Connecticut and Rhode Island, there are virtually no places left to compete at the local level. This limits the ability for a child to qualify for the world championship races each year in Akron. It's a situation that has left many veteran derby participants sad and disappointed. So what's behind this? Well, John Strand, who led Danbury's local race for many years, has an opinion. I found that uh, a lot of times it becomes uh, pretty easy as a parent uh, to go about your own necessities and, and drop your children off to participate or practice during the week and pick them up when things are over. To be fair, it's not an easy task to volunteer for. Most of the, the weekend races where you accumulate points today is um, four races during a, a weekend, which um, uh, today is is pretty difficult to get a, a family to, to show up at 7 o'clock in the morning and pack up to go home at, at 6. Peter Hornig the fourth agrees that volunteering can be time-consuming. Parents would have to show up, set up the track, and then before that, there's what was all the prep work. You'd have to contact the local city or town hall, get permission from the police to close the road, um, notify the local businesses and or homeowners that live in the area that the road would be closed. You could actually do this on many weekends during the season, which stretches from August to May, and it usually involves both parents pitching in. However, the payoff in family bonding is unmistakable. Peter says you need look no further than to the many volunteers who are still active. And a lot of it was guys that were, their kids raced, their kids had been out of it for a few years, but they still showed up to help out. And the memories and values that are built into the children who participate form a rock-solid basis for future years. Longtime director John Strand says, though, the writing is on the wall. There used to be races in Berlin, Meriden, Bristol, and Danbury in Connecticut, Northampton in Massachusetts, and the Keystone Circuit in Pennsylvania. Now, he says, east of Akron... There are 16 race cities that no longer are racing. You know, Akron is going to have to figure out how to tailor the sport to, to make sure that it doesn't go away. Mike Corson, who currently manages Connecticut and Rhode Island, agrees the trend is clear. Membership is down across the country, so I don't feel bad that Danbury has faltered. He held a rally race a few years ago where there was a strong turnout of enthusiastic young drivers after you include all of those who traveled from outside the region to participate. We had happy kids, we had happy racing, and everybody went home and we didn't have a club. We still didn't have the members. Not everybody needs to volunteer, but we need more kids to get more parents. Normally, a town cannot hold a rally race unless it holds a local race, and that's causing a bit of a catch-22. There aren't enough volunteers to stage ongoing local races in Connecticut. Feeling this pressure, Derby officials in Akron have relented and allowed cities to hold rally races, drawing participants from both their local towns and farther away in an attempt to jumpstart local club membership. Mike Corson's going to take advantage of this, and he has plans for another rally race in Danbury. For the young adults who were children when they raced, this effort comes as good news. Katie Yergen is one of them. I know how important it was to all the kids who made the cars and 
did the racing, and it was a really good outlet, too. And for Jacob Hornick, he's hoping the race continues because of all the wonderful skills it has taught him. I wish it continued. I would love to, you know, grow up, and if I have kids someday, have them race, because it's an exciting thing. It's great to build it with your father, and it teaches a lot of amazing life lessons, especially sportsmanship, because you can't get out of the car and throw your helmet on the ground and throw a fit. You get out, if you lose, and you shake the other person's hand, you tell them, good race. Well, that's it for this episode of Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path. I want to thank my guests for this episode, Mike Corson and John Strand of New Milford, the Hornig family of Danbury, Father Peter IV, and sons Peter V, Nathaniel, and Jacob, and Brookfield's Katie Yergin. Please follow me at my main podcast website, amazingtalesct.podbean.com. Also, in between episodes, you can check out my pages on Facebook at Amazing Tales CT. I'd love hearing from you and you can send me an idea of a story you'd like me to look into. If you liked what you heard, spread the word with your family and friends. See you next time here on Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's beaten path. I'm Mike Allen. Be safe and stay healthy. Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's beaten path is a production of True North Associates, LLC. Thank you.